Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, February 5th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered these tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here, start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. It contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I can turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. 
and we can have a conversation. And um, alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. Or you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And if we get a question or a comment from you, we will address it on the Internet show and then, as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback or input. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. And that's just far easier to do when we know how these things are landing for you. Whatever we're choosing as our way of spending our time here on MindShifters Radio, whether that's reading from the way of mastery or... doing worksheets or answering questions about the actual process of the process and dynamics that make the worksheet such an effective tool. So it's a Monday, a very good time for comments, questions, comments, answers. We had uh, been reading from the way of mastery. We've also had people talk about um, Neville Goddard and his work. And um, we have on the 23rd, I believe it's a Friday, yeah, on the 23rd, We'll have two guests, Lori Morris and David Gruder, and they will join us for the Mind Shifters Radio segment that day. Lori Morris is a um, a specialist in. Eastern medicine, acupuncture, and uh, I had to look up the initials behind her name, but it has to do with um, Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine. And they run a podcast called The One Thing, and they're both best-selling authors. It says here, who are deeply versed in a wide range of traditions that teach versions of what is called perennial wisdom. Wisdom. Their calling is to equip individuals, couples, leaders, and influencers to transcend from homo sapiens into homo spiritus, human spirits who act as conduits of higher love and wisdom to catalyze the co-creation of heaven on earth. So that will be Friday the 23rd. And 
if you have questions about either their podcast or what they mean by homo spiritus or what their goal, their mission is, please join us that day and be ready to ask. I will um, make the request for them to um, leave time for questions should there be any that, that arise. They are two of the people recently in my experience who have talked about Neville Goddard and his work. And I think we mentioned this before, but Neville was writing in the um, very early 1900s. He wrote a series of books, I think maybe as many as ten, and what he reached in his work and his study and his writings, his own spiritual journey, to my eye and ear, it sounds very, very much like what Mary Baker Eddy discovered in her work, her own personal meditation and prayer and insight and reading and rereading the Bible and the um, the essence of it is that you are conscious and because you are conscious and you are consciousness you are part of the divine mind and all that you do with your mind that is heavily focused on the five senses is literally just putting the veils or the bushel baskets or the layers of distraction between you and your awareness of your true nature, your awareness of your capacity to work with energies, to be a creator, to get a more direct experience of your connection to your source on a regular basis and what you know Mary Baker Eddy found with the Christian science work and what Neville Goddard um, writes about so repetitively is that you can do your own level of connection to the divine and the sources that keep your body functioning and can restore you to health in an instant if you turn inside. If you look outside, you don't find so much. But if you look inside, it's all in there. And um, I'm sure that that's the kind of message we'll hear more about when we listen to uh, Laurie Morse and David Gruder on the 23rd. And if you are, are interested in uh, Neville Goddard's work, it's available. He's uh, clearly no longer with us since he was writing in the early 1900s, but his works are available.
I even found recently that he has um, uh, a, a compilation of his um, works is available through um, Audible. So he's got nine or ten books that are all grouped together for an Audible. It's called Neville Goddard, The Complete Reader. And then the subtitle is A Great American Mystic. So, if there's any interest, that is um, another... It's kind of a fun thing to explore. It's not really... My experience of it is it's not intended to be light and airy. It's very practical, down-to-earth, get in touch with your true nature. Um, It's kind of like the... As I mentioned, the um, Christian science work is not just for entertainment. It is... Mary Baker Eddy was very clear that anybody who worked for her was expected to be doing their own one or two hours of meditation and prayer every day. And it was just understood that that's the only way you can turn inside enough to actually get the guidance that you need, each of us would need, to live a healthy life because because we're different people. No two of us will have exactly the same guidance at any point in time or not necessarily the same guidance at any point in time. And the only way to, you know, make progress in your life is to reestablish that conscious connection with the source of wisdom itself, the source of your life itself. And, you know, there's a way of looking at the way of mastery, which we've been reading, which says the same thing, that this isn't just about entertainment, because... The, the the real entertainment only comes when we tap into the bliss that's available by restoring our conscious focus of awareness to our true nature. And that, you know, whatever amount of time we're spending in life where we're not aware, directly consciously aware of our true nature it's because we're choosing to value something else more than valuing our true nature or our awareness of our true nature. Which is why in in very recent readings that we've been doing here, we are called to really seriously question for ourselves each day, what is it we're valuing? What is it we're creating an experience of? And with complete acceptance of that, 
There's nothing in this work that judges you as bad or wrong. All of this work is focused on just living in the direct observation of, okay, so if you're choosing this, how is it working for you? Do you like it? Do you appreciate it? Is it is it giving you a level of fulfillment and energetic connection to wisdom and health and healthy relationships? Because if it's not, whatever you're choosing is not giving you that, please feel free to choose again. Please feel free to understand that there's a whole different level of appreciation, joy, aliveness that's available to everyone in every moment if they're tuned into it, if they're focusing on it. The last segment we were reading from Lesson 10 in the Way of Mastery on Friday was about it's titled Recognizing the Presence of Christ Within. And I'm I'm just backing up to the beginning of that section because it it just seems to flow better when I look at I don't want to just pick it up in the middle of that section. So the title of the section is Recognizing the Presence of Christ Within. And the text reads Your Self, capital S self is calling out to be recognized for what it is, an awakened master. Now this is exactly the point of Neville Goddard's work. You are an awakened master. You have access to the Christ mind. You are a part of the creation. You are a creator as well as being created by the one mind and you now have the ability to create. And some would say without limit. And that's exactly the kind of thing that you'll get in the Christian science teachings from Mary Baker Eddy. All there is is this one mind. All there is is consciousness. And you're a part of it. And you're a part of it whether you realize it or not. And the, the thoughts you choose are creating your life experience, whether you realize it or not. The fact of the matter is, there are you know many, many people who live on this planet who've never had a course in physics and don't even know the concept of gravity. But their lives are governed by it anyway. And so in much the same way, these teachings say, your true self is calling out to be recognized for what it is. Your true self is that you are an awakened master. You are the presence of Christ in you. And that presence of Christ in you would inform every step, every decision, the quality of your perception, the very nature of your forever expanding transparent consciousness if you tune into it. It can inform all of those things. And that's exactly the point that Neville Goddard reaches when he reads the Bible and he understands it as none of it being literal. All of it being about the messages at different layers. Parables, 
stories, myths, layer upon layer of deep meaning, all pointing to the fact that you are consciousness itself having an experience in the physical realm. This text goes on and says, for it is your consciousness alone that can reach out and embrace all created things until you literally realize that all things have arisen within you, in other words, within consciousness itself. That is how big you are. That is how grand you are because that is all you are. You are the ocean from which waves and waves of dimensions and worlds have arisen. That mind, capital M mind, is what you are required to let be in you, even as it was once within me, Yeshua, as I walked upon your earth. The invitation here is that we stop making it difficult. Again, the title of this lesson is, The Way is Easy and Without Effort. The text goes on and says, Whenever you hear of a teacher teaching this or a teacher teaching that, ask yourself this, do they offer me simplicity or complexity? Do they offer an ordinary peace? Or must I have several trappings around me? Do they give me complex meditations and prayers and things to do? Or do they simply remind me of the capital T truth and ask me to rest in it? Will they tell me that I need to go on a thousand pilgrimages? Or do they remind me that when I wake up, my cup of tea in the morning is where heaven is. Heaven is present in that moment. If I will remember who is making the tea. Who is making the tea? Christ is making the tea. Be therefore not distracted. For in the end of this age, there is coming forth a whole smorgasbord of those who would profess to be teachers of enlightenment, who will guide you into all knowledge. Look carefully. Do they demand that you follow them? Do they demand of you that you give up your own discernment? Or do they ask you to look deeper within? Do they ask you, what are you feeling? What do you think? What do you want to do? Are you willing to accept responsibility for the effect? What do you believe? What do you want? You are free. I am equal to you. I am just in the role of a temporary guide for you, and someday you will be far beyond me. So listen to these teachers. How do they speak? What do they teach? Is there fear filtering into their words? 
do they believe that they must teach you to control the forces of nature and the forces of the mind? Do they teach you to protect yourself against evil? There are many who profess to be teachers of enlightenment, and there will be many more. When you hear these things coming from them, turn and flee from their presence, for you do not need them. You are already beyond them. In other words, anyone preaching fear, anyone preaching you need to protect yourself against evil, etc. The text goes on and says, Ask only this, how can I extend my treasure this day? And then it recommends that you lay up treasures where moth and dust cannot corrupt. That is, you lay up treasures where time and materiality and the body and the world cannot hook you. Rather, you lay up treasures that are in heaven. Treasures like the process of forgiveness and dismantling perception and, and any negative judgments. The process of peace. The awareness of your unlimitedness. The recognition of your unlimited power. That which brings you joy and that which puts a smile on your face. Lay up for yourself these treasures and then all things shall be added unto you. Things, these outside possessions, is not what they're talking about here. Guy Finley says, a lot of people hear the quote from the Bible that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added unto you. And he talks about how people think that means if I do what the Bible tells me, I'm going to get all this good stuff. But he says, that message, that statement, that passage has nothing to do with acquiring one thing. And if you go back to the roots of the words from the ancient Greek and the Arabic and Aramaic and Hebrew language, he says, there's a better way to look at that statement. It says, if you learn to love above all things the rule of the divine life, the one mind, the one consciousness, and its completely equitable character, balanced character, then all these desires for outside material things shall be placed in a passive position within you. You're going to be able to go into the flow of life and allow and surrender and experience the bliss that comes from being in the flow rather than judging and creating perceptions and fighting against the flow of life itself. The text here goes on and says, For there is a way of being in the world that requires no planning or striving. Though to enter that way it requires the relinquishing of fear. To enter it requires commitment to teaching only love until the mind is again whole and undivided. 
there is a way of being in the world that is not here at all. The body still abides. Yes, your body's still here. And yes, you still act just like everybody else thinks and acts. That is, people know your name and you know your name. They know where you live and you know where you live. You know which car you're supposed to drive. You know whom you go home to at night. And yet, through it all, there is pervaded in your consciousness a transparency as you look upon all things. Whatever feelings arise, they come and go. And somehow, you begin to recognize that you are much larger than the things that come and go. And that you are watching a dance of shadows a dream gently passing by. And that dream is gone in a cosmic split second. This does not become a way in which you deny your experience. Rather, it gives you the freedom to embrace it and live it totally with passion, with purpose, with power, and in perfect freedom. There will be no anxiety, no pressure, just the willingness to dance in the world of dreams while remaining awake. If indeed you have been putting your five minutes into practice, you are already carrying yourself closer and closer, or perhaps more and more deeply, into the transparency that I'm describing for you. And that transparency grows to a point, you might think of it as critical mass, when suddenly you see as a beingness, you as a beingness can no longer even hold the thought of yourself as a body in space and time. When that happens, the body simply dissolves away and your consciousness will never experience the limitations of the body again. And yet, you will bring the joys that the bodily experience taught you, and you'll bring them with you, for they're imprinted in your consciousness forever. The earth is a beautiful place, and it is only a pale reflection of the radiant, transcendent beauty of the good, the holy, and the beautiful that pervades my Father's creation. So, as far as the earth goes, as far as your worldly physical life goes, love it, embrace it, thank it, and do not cling to it. Learn, then, to teach only love. So here's a simple practice. The next section is titled, A Simple Practice. And the text reads... Now, to build on what we've been doing, we would simply ask you to add this very simple practice. When you sit in your chair for five minutes, abiding as Christ, remembering the capital T truth that has set you free, begin to ask yourself the following simple question. Quote, This day 
how can I extend my treasure? How can I add to that which I'm storing up in the heaven of my consciousness? Close quotes. Immediately, you will begin to get pictures. An old friend who needs a phone call. Someone to write a letter to. It could be something as simple as picking up your cat, placing it on your lap, and seeing all of infinity in that living being and then feeling the joy that comes as you run your hand along its fur. It could be something as grand as going to Washington, D.C. in order to send a blessing to your president. It does not matter what it is, because that voice for love, capital L, love, will be guiding your actions. It may be as simple as turning to your spouse and saying, you know, I appreciate you. Whatever it is, let the day not fade away until that action is accomplished or at least set into motion. What action is that? The action that comes to mind when you're sitting in your chair as Christ for five minutes and then you ask yourself, this day, how can I extend my treasure? How can I add to that which I'm storing up in the heaven of my consciousness? Then whatever comes to mind, either take an action on it right then or don't let the day end before you've either accomplished it or started the process to bring it into reality. The text goes on. So the great question is this. Am I willing to trust the flow from my father's mind through my mind as that which empowers me to extend my treasure? Yes, it does mean living unlike the way the world lives. Yes, it does mean going against the grain. You may seem to need to apply more energy to it at first, but as you get the momentum of your mind to turn into another direction, to shake loose all the sludge that's been settled into your consciousness, your momentum will grow. But I can promise you, if you will take up such a path, take it up simply, joyfully, gently, patiently, the end of your journey is certain. If you choose a path filled with magic and many complex strategies, the end is not so certain. The way is easy and without effort. And they offer this quote. Quote, I am already that which I seek. I need only allow it to guide me. While this body lasts, I will allow it to be communicated through this communication device that extends the treasure of the perfect love, perfect safety, and perfect peace to allow all who enter my house. And your house is a field of is your field of energy it is the expanse of your presence toward the end of your 5 minutes look at yourself from within your mind's eye as though from the day you began this course until now 
you have journeyed around a circle. You have journeyed through many influences of energy. You have engaged yourself in relationship with countless brothers and sisters. You've had thousands of visions and dreams and revelations come into your consciousness. You've had unspoken million opportunities to be disturbed and lose your peace. You've been like a sojourner, a prodigal son or daughter who has gone out through the realms of human consciousness, and now you see yourself completing the circle. Here it is, the quote that's offered, I am already that which I seek. That quote from Francis of Assisi is in almost all, um, Dale Allen Hoffman says it's his favorite quote. And, and the idea is, when you decide you want to know God, when you go out in search of love or consciousness or enlightenment, you are what you're looking for. What you're looking for is the very essence of consciousness that is doing the looking. That's what this, this quote starts with. I am already that which I seek. Enlightenment, consciousness, connection to source, the Christ mind, an awakened part of the one mind, I am already that. My ability to be aware of my thoughts, my ability to have thoughts that I direct is the power of creation, is the connection to, to my source of all creation, the one mind. And while I have a body, I will allow it to be a communication device to extend the good, the holy, and the beautiful to everyone I interact with. The last section in this lesson is titled, Celebrate Your Rebirth as Christ. And it recommends that you count the days from this day until the 25th of December. Or if you're reading these words from another time of the year, simply choose a date approximately seven weeks in the future. Seven weeks from today that will be signifying your day of rebirth. Let each day be seen as a step, as a pilgrimage, a completion of a very ancient circle. Let each day be one in which you reaffirm your commitment to releasing everything unlike love that's in yourself. So that as you come to the end of that seven-week period, or December 25th, if you're happening to do it during that period of the year, you will dedicate yourself to being prepared for it. seven-week process of preparation. And then, on the second to the last day of that seven-week period, go to bed early enough and in quiet and in prayer so that you can awaken before the first rays of the new day come to caress the earth. Take yourself outdoors, even if you must bundle up the body, 
make haste to a place of vision, a place where you can look out over wherever it is that you live. And let that represent your ability to look out over all of creation. There, turn your face toward the direction of the rising sun and go into a simple prayer. Close your eyes. Realize that you see nothing through the physical eyes anyway. Stand with your arms at the sides with your palms open. Breathe deeply into the body, relax the mind, and begin simply to say this to yourself. Death has occurred, and now the birth of Christ is at hand. Father, I accept fully your will for me. Your will is only that I be happy and that I use time to extend my treasure. Now I receive the warmth of your light and love. Then merely stand and wait and receive the warmth of the light. For rest assured, even if the skies are cloudy, as the sun arises, there is a change in the energy of the air. If you are quiet, you can feel how it begins to affect the energy sphere of your awareness and of your body. Drink that solar energy in through every cell in your body. Drink it in until you feel your very spinal column warmed. And when the whole body, from the crown of the head to the tips of the toes and down through each finger, is filled with light, then gently open the eyes of Christ and let yourself see a new world, a new creation, a new beginning. Now the journey to the kingdom is over, and the journey within it can begin. Graduate school is just around the corner. When you journey back to your home on that day of rebirth, do something that celebrates your birthday, not mine. Yours. I can handle taking care of my own celebration. The invitation is for you to be joyous and celebrate in whatever way you wish and know that the new age, the new day has dawned. Never again will you ever be able to convince yourself that there is an excuse for believing in anything that is less than an enlightened Christ consciousness. Regardless of when you may be hearing these words, the same truth applies. Choose a date approximately seven weeks in the future to signify your day of rebirth and surrender to this process that I have described each day until that day arrives. Your instruction is given. Reflect well on what has been given, for we have been stepping into some very simple but very powerful initiations that were once given to me as I, too, awakened to the reality that only Christ dwells within me. Beloved friends, reflect well on all that has been shared. Although it is filled 
only with light, so please do not take it lightly. Consider well each phrase, each sentence, even the spaces between these words. For in those spaces, revelation can come. It is time to birth fully the presence of the peaceful Christ within you. Peace be unto you always, and always I am with you. Amen. So that is Lesson 10. The way is easy and without effort. And, even though it doesn't say it as directly as Neville Goddard's work would or some of the other teachers would, the way is in, it is through. You can't go around. You can't find what you need from outside you. You can't make somebody into what you need. You can't even make yourself into what you need. You already are it. What you're looking for is what is looking. When you want love, when you want light, when you want higher consciousness, when you want enlightenment, when you want to be one with your creator, and you think you go out looking for that, the thing you're looking for is what is doing the looking. So the only thing that makes any sense whatsoever is to turn inside. We had somebody last week recommend um, a YouTube video by one of um, Paramahansa Yogananda's students. And the entire video is just about turning inside, understanding that the only way to get what you say you want is to look inside. This was a talk by Brother A-N-A-N-D-A-M-O-Y. Anand Damoy. And and the essence of it is how Paramahansa Yogananda brought Kriya Yoga to the West and the Kriya Yoga is a turning inside. It is focusing on the breath. It's not doing all kinds of different breathing techniques. It's watching the breath. It's observing your true nature inside yourself. So if what you're looking for is what is looking, the only thing that truly makes sense is turning inside. Turning inside yourself and observing what's already there. Observing your true nature more accurately, more directly, without all the filters, without all the labels, without all the attachments to accomplishments, certainly without the attachment to the material things, 
And again, this is not saying go get rid of all your material things. This is simply saying just notice how attached and or identified you are with those material things. There are many people who have comfortable wealth and possessions and yet they're not attached to them. They don't identify with them and they live a very connected life, a very loving, peaceful life. There's nothing in this teaching that says you have to give all of your money, all of your possessions, everything that's of comfort, give it away and live in you know, misery or that you have to do some kind of a yogic position that creates great physical pain and learn to move beyond it internally. That's not, if you listen carefully to what was just said, the way is easy and without effort. And it says, if you're, if you're listening to a teacher and they tell you you've got to go on all these different pilgrimages and you've got to give up everything you think you want and follow them and The advice is turn and run away from those people. Turn and run away from anybody who talks about fear or lets fear work its way into their message. If they tell you you've got to give up what you want and follow them, run away. Because you have the source within you. But if you have a teacher that asks you to look deeper within yourself, they ask you, what are you feeling? What do you think? What do you want to do? If they tell you, I'm equal to you, I'm just in the role of a temporary guide, that's probably somebody to listen to. If they tell you, to be afraid of this or that, you better get going, you better do this fast, you better do it now, you better do it the way I tell you, you better protect yourself against evil, then turn and flee from their presence. You do not need them. You're already beyond them. And instead of focusing on laying up treasures like even the approval of your guru or yoga teacher or your yogi, that's a treasure, right? Instead of laying up those things, look for your own process of forgiveness, which is the dismantling of your own judgments and perceptions. Look for peace inside of you. Look for the recognition of your unlimited power. Look to those things that brings you joy, deep joy, and puts a smile on your countenance. It does take vigilance. It does take commitment. Because many, many people start out on a path 
that sounds very loving and very spiritual and very connected, and then they veer off into fear and contraction and judgment and labeling. And this message, just like Paramahansa Yogananda's message, just like Neville Goddard's message, calls you to look inside yourself, to slow down and recognize that the way is easy and without effort. And the process of learning to observe gently, consistently, accurately is highly preferable to anything that creates fear and contortion. So our call-in number is 563-999-3581. We've got about seven minutes left. Plenty of time for a comment or a question. Area code 541, you're in the air. Yes, um, Dr. Tim, this is Celinda. Could you please spell Neville Goddard's name and the name of this audio uh, book that you mentioned, the uh, compilation of his work? Yeah, Neville is N-E-V-I-L-L-E. And Goddard is G-O-D-D-A-R-D. Okay. And the the complete reader is the title of this audible compilation. And what did you say about it? Uh, its description of a great something mystic? It was uh well on 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 the book it says Neville Goddard, a great American mystic. American. And if you, and, and and if you look up, you know, Neville Goddard and you see the Uh, the Wikipedia entry for him, they, they talk about, you know, when he did his work and all of the books that he wrote. And, and you know, they talk about him as an American mystic. So you can read about him and or you can actually read his work. Um, the, the, the The critical thing, as I'm pointing out, is that because it was mentioned before, is that it's just so much like Mary Baker Eddy's work from Christian Science and her understanding of the 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 messages in the Bible about energy and about consciousness and about the one mind and about your being a part of it. And that, you know, this non-secular look at the Bible that, that says all these hidden messages, everything is, is a parable in the Bible, and it gives you layer upon layer of reminder that you are energy and you are consciousness and you are directing energy and consciousness so that you are actually creating 
we are all a part of the one mind. We are all a part of the Godhead. We are all part of the flow of creation, however you want to look at it. Thank you. I have been feeling that about the Bible for many, many years. That's a good place, a good way for me to read the Bible. Well, then you might might enjoy his take on it. Okay. Well, it's just like the Buddhists when they said that I believe this was uh, Greg Braden mentioned when he went to Tibet uh, that uh, when he asked the Buddhists about their praying, he assumed it was their toning and their ringing of the bowl, the singing of singing bowls they used and all of these things. And and uh, the abbot said, no, no, that's not prayer. That's just trying to bring us into a state where we can make, where we can do prayer or be prayer or whatever. And I thought that was, that would be like the way I would use uh, any passage from the Bible or any story within a parable within it. Sounds on target. So thank you, sir, for all of this good uh, sources of information that you give us for those of us who love the smorgasbord of life as we create, as you said earlier, we create our own unique journey with the divine and awakening into it. It's sweet. Well, you're, you're welcome and deserving. I'll mute you so you can listen to the second hour. I will remind us all that we come from love, we're made of the stuff that we call love, we actually are love, and everything else is false. I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate you. I've got that gentleman's name in the notes for the day. All right, excellent. Have, Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. And today is Monday, February the 5th, 2024. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1 and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael a moment to dial in. And uh, we are on day number 16 on the Enlightenment study. I hope that you're following along. If you have one of the Enlightenment books, Michael is actually telling us what page he's on and as he's discussing it, reading it, explaining it. And uh, if you don't have an Enlightenment book and you would like to get it, If you order it on our website, it's going to automatically charge you $9 shipping and handling. Um, But if you just go and make a donation of $26, the extra dollar covers the fee that PayPal charges us. The book is for $25, and we will pay the shipping. Uh, When you make the donation, be sure and put that it is for the Enlightenment book and give us your name and address, where to mail it. 
and we will get it off to you the very next day. Um, several people have ordered it or already had one or they had attended a, a live workshop or intensive. And so we hope that you are following along and Michael has joined us. So I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here, honored that you're here to be part of this conversation, to extend this energy, even if in no other way than through your brain, receiving it to your neck of the woods, wherever you are in the world. Now, there's an interesting uh, dynamic. If you do some research on people patenting, patenting, inventions. It's interesting that you'll find something that is totally, completely unique, but has been patented patented by two or three different people in totally different parts of the world and people with no connection to each other. And they all patented their invention on the same day or within days of each other. What that says is that we live in a world of energy. And when you recognize that we live in a world of energy, engaging in, entertaining in energy means that you intensify it, you amplify it. And one of the understandings when we're talking about the Kabor's manuscript and the Enlightenment book that we're working with we hear this master teacher from 2,000 years ago saying, a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. And one might be tempted to think that he's talking about bread. But in fact, this is a physicist speaking, talking about physics, critical mass. And that when an energy is intensified sufficiently within a given energy field, Everything in that energy field is transformed by that one little piece of increased intensity. And so literally, you know, if you're in England, if you're in Russia, if you're in Yugoslavia, wherever you are, if you're simply hearing these words, then your energy is a contribution that is assisting in creating a critical mass. And that's what we're looking to do with this work, is to take these teachings based in the fact that we as human beings are literally the active presence of love. It's been forgotten. It's been lost in the world. And few people can even conceive of that as a possibility because they, their fields are filled with such intensity of trauma and trauma and pain. And yet, and we see it all the time, people who run into this work and go, oh, come on now, that's not really possible. And then picking up the tools and doing the work, people who've lived, and I'm talking about, I mean, suicide-level trauma, I mean, we often hear from people who've been on the verge of suicide, who've picked up these tools, and, and a very short time later, we're hearing from them saying, oh, my God, I'm so glad I didn't kill myself. I, I'm just so delighted to be alive. 
people recognize that the drama and trauma world is something that's just a product of energetic patterns being held within their structure, generations and generations of patterning. And we're here to support people in undoing that patterning, discovering themselves as the presence of love, and bringing that active presence of love into the world. This is what Yeshua was referring to when he said, a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. When enough people will join in bringing forward the literal true presence of who we are as human beings, then hitting critical mass, that energy, that insight, that experience becomes available to people who've never even conceived of human life being about love. And so that's what we're here to support. That's what we're here to produce. And... This, you know, if you're following along in the manuscript on page 20, about the middle of the page, and the Course talks about, or the uh, Kaburis delivers words expressing higher law. This is the higher law we're talking about, this critical mass, that the higher the frequency is in the energy field, the more powerful and the more penetrating it is. You know, if I'm closed in a room and I have a flashlight and I shine the flashlight against the wall. You know, I'm in one room right now and there's a wall between Jeannie and I. If I shine a flashlight on the wall, Jeannie has no idea I'm shining that flashlight because to the light that's leaving this flashlight, the wall is solid. The wall absorbs all of the energy of that light. None of it comes out on the other side. But if I were to project a radio wave against the exact same spot on the wall and Jeannie had a radio receiver on the other side, then Jeannie would receive that frequency. She'd receive that radio signal. If I were to put an eighth of an inch of lead on that wall, that radio signal would no longer get through. What would happen? The density of the lead is so intense that every bit of energy of that radio wave is absorbed by the atomic structure of the lead. None of it gets through to the other side. So you'll notice as we raise in frequency, matter becomes more and more transparent. So if I were to put that eighth of an inch of wall, lead on the wall, Jeannie would not receive the light, nor the radio wave, nor the X-ray. But if I went to a gamma ray and she had a gamma ray detector on the other side, she'd receive the gamma ray because, again, the gamma ray is still a finer energy. There's not enough interaction or resonance with the atomic structure of the, the lead, and the gamma ray passes right through the lead. There is nothing we know of in what's called the material universe that can stop the high energy wave that leaves the mind when we think a thought. Now, so many people have joined with others, and it's mainly because of brainwashing, programming that comes in childhood, programming that comes in our genes, and the traumas experienced and people join in this drama and trauma and pain and rage and fear. 
even coming to the crazy belief that love means I'm going to be abused. Ah, now I know you love me because you're abusing me just like my power person did. And my power person said, I'm only abusing you because I love you. I'm only beating on you because I want you to be good and I love you. And in this mistake that love is something we can do to each other rather than a state of being, these many minds locked into all kinds of craziness, which then joining with others seems like, and we watch millions of people being brainwashed into these frequencies of pain. And, and, and I mean literally brainwashed. You know, there's a, a test that we often invite people to do, and that is to sit down at their television set have a piece of paper and draw one inch margin on the left hand side of the page and then spending no more than maybe two minutes on any given station on their television set just to switch every two minutes switch frequency switch in uh, signals go from a channel to channel to channel to channel to channel on their TV set and then on the left-hand side of the page where you've got that one-inch margin, make a check mark every time you hear a word that truly represents the active presence of love as human life. And then put a check mark for every time you hear a word that's based in hostility or fear. And notice, you'll fill 100 pages with check marks about hostility or fear before you'll fill one one inch column with hearing on this public media words that actually represent the presence of active love as we are designed to experience it. So there is a brainwash, an energetic brainwash that's taken over the world, and it's the higher law as the Kaburis presents it as the Enlightenment book, as our conversation is about, understanding that when we engage in this higher law, it is literally a frequency that will penetrate all space and all time and become available to all humans on the planet. That's physics. All we need is the leavening. All we need is enough people who will understand that and choose to forgive. And remember that forgiveness doesn't mean I let you off the hook because this rage or fear or pain is moving in me. Forgiveness is a tool with, that, with which I remove my rage or pain or fear. And so when I begin to work with removing the brainwash, all the words based in hostility or fear you remember this man, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago, who understood the higher law, said the power of life and death is in your words. Look at that piece of paper where you put check marks on the page. Which column, the one-inch column, where you put a check mark for every time you heard something about actual human life, about love, or the words based in hostility, which ones do you suppose represent human life? And what's the preponderance of words that you use on a daily basis? If you use the vernacular of the culture, turn on the TV and watch what's going on. And are you ready to make the shift into the higher law? Yes, there's work to be done. 
many generations, many, many, many generations of hostility or fear in each of our bloodlines to be undone. But it is a work that can be done. Now, today, you know, in this time frame, if you're listening to this, you're probably the early adopter in your family. You're probably the first one who stepped up and said, I'm ready to get rid of hostility and fear and literally even the language of hostility or fear from my life. I'm ready to get rid of that. And I'm ready to move into a space where I function as a human being, as the active presence of to function out of the higher law. If you are the early adopter, it's going to take time. It's going to be a process. It's not going to happen overnight. But as you progress, you will notice that you get to spend more and more time in literally physiological serenity, in aliveness, and more and more of your language is based in present love rather than the game of hostility or fear. So this is a a section that was written by Dan McDougald. And I'm just going to read it as he wrote it. The text of the Kaburis Codex delivers to us the words expressing the higher law across 20 centuries since he who fully understood it presented it to the apostles and embodied it, pardon, pardon me, and embodied his practice of it in the resurrection. He said that all the higher law hangs on just two commandments. The first of the two commandments teaches us to, and, and will we're going to shift that word because when the, when the Greeks told us that we were supposed to love God, love neighbor as self, that that was the first law. Actually, in Aramaic, the word that was used was rachma, present a filter in the frontal lobes of the brain that brings love into human form. So as opposed to love being a verb, love is a noun, it's a state of being. And so Rachma allows us to be in that state of being when we think of the creator. And so first of all, you know, holding that space of Rachma, when you think of the creator above, above all other objects and desire. First commandment. If this commandment is honored, we must sustain the integrity of that love under extreme pressure, as did Job, as did Yeshua in facing crucifixion. He maintained the presence of love so powerfully that he reached out and healed his enemy, the high priest servant. We must sustain good character under all adverse conditions. So, so the idea here is that when you are able to maintain the yourself, your experience of yourself as active, present love, regardless of what's going on around you, then everything changes. So Yeshua maintained the presence of love so powerfully that he reached out and healed this enemy called the high priest servant. We must sustain this character, this state of being under all adverse conditions. And that's a big practice if you come from generations and generations and a culture based in hostility and fear. And, and here's one of the most important thoughts that one could ever come across. He thought that this was the key to a sound mind. Do you want to keep a mind that truly functions properly? Then here's how you do it. 
If it is honored in our lives by our government and other leaders, we can sustain sustain a sound culture and reverse any declines which have occurred. So, you know, take a look at the political situation today, the violence, the viciousness, the craziness, the language of hostility and fear that's become so all-pervasive. There is a a way to restore sanity to that. And it's going to be enough people who understand who they are as love and speak from that space of being. Second commandment tells us again to maintain Rachma, not love, but maintain Rachma, which means when Rachma, Rachma is a filter in the frontal lobes of the brain that brings it is a space that opens to bring human life, love, into human form. And so when you maintain yourself as love, when you think of neighbors, and in Aramaic, that means anyone you think about or have ever thought about, to have a sound mind, love must be the internal condition in our minds, in our marriages, in our families, our businesses, our streets, our schools, and homes. He teaches how to restore love. He teaches how to restore love. How do you do that? It's called forgiveness. The removal of hostility and fear. So the the core of the work of Yeshua teaches how to restore love with forgiveness when it is lost to any form of hostility or fear. If this commandment is honored, our decisions and the resulting behaviors will match the standards established for humanity by the laws of living. And we've been hearing from some people who are interested in doing the Laws of Living Intensive. Actually, uh, last week, Jeannie played a show that was from, I think it was 2016, where we were talking about um, uh, Laws of Living, and one gentleman who who actually had been to Heartland, he actually was on the support team back about 10 years ago at Heartland, had been doing this work for 24, 25 years. Uh, We actually heard from him last week on the show, but he had listened to that recording and he didn't realize it was pre-recorded and we were talking about a loss of living intensive and he got his calendar out and he called me. He's like, Michael, what are the dates on this? I, 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 I know I need to get to do this laws of living intensive again. When is it going to be? It's like, oh, excuse me, but Terry, that was, uh, that was a, uh, a recording from a few years ago. So we have had some people who have been expressing interest in doing a, uh, a Zoom online laws of living intensive. You know, we did the uh, codependence to interdependence intensive, and it's a recorded intensive now that's available for self-study. So thinking about scheduling a laws of living intensive would be done on Zoom so that once again it could be available as self-study. And then anyone who participated would have the whole intensive on video as we do with the codependence to interdependence intensive. So those results are summarized by Yeshua as the golden rule. From these and the other great truths presented in this volume, course of healing and rehabilitation was developed. 
for the Enlightenment of Modern Humanity. It is entitled The Laws of Living, formerly Emotional Maturity Instruction, for it is through and by these laws that we can live a serene in a serene communion with each other and of course with the Almighty, with the Creator. So it's when when we're speaking of laws, and I've had people when I talk about laws of living say, Well, would you send me a copy of them? No, there is no copy of the laws of living. Remember that law is not the rule of a superior. We don't write down a rule rules that some superior force called the creator or the king has said, here's what you have to do. That's not what laws of living are. In Aramaic, the word law means the way things work. So laws of living is about coming into a direct experience of the way the energy of life works. And as a result of that, as a result of clearing out the abilities and fears of the generations, the power person dynamics and power person messages, that have been given to us, one comes into a direct experience of how this energy system works and then functions from within it. The Foundation's first formal course, EMI, was prepared in late 1967. Heal using the, the words of Yeshua, the ailing minds of hardcore felons in Georgia's maximum security prison. This was done at the request of Judge Asa D. Kelly, seeking to reduce the rate of return of criminals to the prison system. He was the director of the, the, the uh, corrections system, the whole state of Georgia. And this man was one of my teachers and just, the next thing to a saint. This is a man who put in his tenure on the bench thousands of people in prison but never punished one of them. He recognized and he would share with a felon who came before him some heinous criminals, some heinous crimes. And they'd come before him and he would explain that the community had taken up a collection and built a building with a set of bars around it to ensure the safety of and protect the community and the people in the community. And that they had asked him to determine who was safe in the community and who wasn't. Judge Kelly specifically requested that a course be created to free these people from the dynamics of their own family systems, cultural systems, the dynamics of their own criminal minds to free themselves from it and to step back into harmony with the way human life works, which is what the word law means in Aramaic. Psychology tests, and actually there's a typo there, that should be the MMPI, both before and after instruction were used to assess the impact of the word meanings rendered from the Aramaic on the minds of inmates. And so if you're familiar with it, the MMPI is Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. It's kind of the gold standard of psychological testing. Our personal code evaluation, which was developed way back in the social service agencies back decades ago, that evaluation 
we use to point people in the direction of where their opportunities for the greatest learning is and so where their learning is going to be most effective and then we give assignments for here's specifically how to overcome these challenges in your mind. The, the evaluation breaks a person's personal code down into 10 areas. Stress management, honor for self, honor for others, honor for truth, freedom from fear, freedom from hostility, honoring laws of living, nutrition, digestion, toxicity, stress management, will, and then there's a scale that measures the consistency or validity of one's answers. And depending on the profile where blockages are, once one takes the MMPI, and it's a precursor in all of our intensives, it is something that's available if someone wants to do it just in a general way to do their work, but is also part and parcel of each intensive. And so if, if somebody's interested in doing an evaluation, and then there's actually there are two videos that go with it, so you have an understanding of just exactly what that means. But the scoring in those 10 different areas gives us a profile where we can explain to someone how their mind skews their perception of life and how to get the mind back on track to support them in living truly as human beings. So this study and the correction of the word meanings in people's minds was used to assess where one stood, and this helped greatly to um, really tap into which renderings healed, which understandings healed, and which needed improvement. As new understandings from the Aramaic were acquired and tested, the course was rewritten at least every two years to incorporate validated improvements. Since 1967, almost 10,000 students have taken the courses prepared by the foundation, which set forth the tools developed from the understanding of the words from the higher law from the Aramaic. In 15,000 pre, post, and progress evaluations employing recognized psychological test batteries that have been used by the foundation to assess the effectiveness of the teaching. So in improving one's understanding of the higher law and the meanings of words which express it, this proved to be of great and lasting benefit in the lives of those who took the course. Surprisingly, the benefits increased as time passed after completion of the course, and of course, especially if one continued to do their work. The psychological tests indicated that a 37% return to prison was expected after the first course. The actual rate proved to be only 10% after five years of prison, in contrast to the normal return rate of 96% without EMI or loss of living. So we literally cut recidivism in the prison by 96%. Unfortunately, 
Here's, here's the down part of it. The course was quickly removed from the prison system by the state's political authorities when the obvious success of the program became apparent. The separation of, quote, quote unquote, the separation of church and state was cited as the reason, but it begs the question. Had the course not been so successful and the prison's official jobs not have been threatened, as the, sex of the, as the success of the program certainly did, EMI, would EMI have been removed? As a result of the program being dropped, Director Kelly resigned and forced to return to the futile and antiquated procedures after finding a healing modality that actually worked to re- rehabilitate the criminal mind. No, what, what actually happened back then was that basically each jail, each sheriff's department, each prison gets a certain amount of money from the state or the federal government for each person that is incarcerated in that prison or that jail. And basically, where we were testing the laws of living, the jail population was pretty much eradicated. I mean, literally, went down to next to zero, which meant the sheriff was out of business, and he got rid of the course. So laws of living EMI helps to restore fractured relationships, reduces criminality, delinquency, and substance abuse with an efficiency unmatched by other procedures. By 1973, the course was very effective at restoring love for all neighbors, including adversaries. So remember that we're not talking now about a verb when we're talking about love. We're talking about restoring presence of one's own human life in one's own mind and body, even, and as this mentions, adversaries, even in the presence of so-called enemies. This was the key, you know, if, if you ask the question, how do you maintain a sane mind in all circumstances? The answer would be maintain Rachma for the creator, for neighbor, and for self. And by so doing, you maintain your own human life. It was found in the Aramaic that the word neighbor includes all near to us, all in our minds or formerly in our minds and includes even ourselves. There are no exceptions to the higher law that to function at our highest and best, we must have love as a permanent condition in the mind. Human life present in a human form transforms and changes everything. Without the active presence of love, without Rachma, which again is the gateway, it's actually Rachma is a dual, uh, has a dual purpose. One, it is the gateway through which love, our created human essence, enters our forms. Two, it is a filter over intentions that allows only intentions that are keyed to love to be active in any given situation. And the reason that's important is because intentions are literally the raw material of goals. And goals are what drive the perceptions in our minds. And so when Yeshua said, 
have Rachma for the creator, for neighbor, for self. He was saying, maintain your human life in your own mind and body. And when we say, I love you, or I love myself, that's, that's a re- reflection of a fundamental mistake and misunderstanding that we've been taught to make. When most people say the words, quote-unquote, I love you, they're talking about a venial, fragile form of approval rather than the fact that love is our created essence, the state from which we're designed to experience life. Recapturing, this work is about recapturing, this is the higher law, recapturing the direct experience of yourself as love rather than the mental constructs fed to you by your genes, your family system, your culture, and the thought disorders accepted by your mind. And if if that's not your normal state of being, then it takes a lifetime of work. It is is not something that's going to happen in five minutes if you choose to change the dynamic of your family system and of your culture's influence. It's going to be, quite literally, a lifetime of work. So love we're understanding now from laws of living is a state of being, not something you can get nor give to someone else. You can be the presence of love for someone, or they can be the presence of love for you, but the actual healing experience of love comes only when you awaken and experience that love is what you are. And, you know, People say, well, you know, it's, what, so what? You know, I, I say I love you. Isn't that okay? Well, let's imagine that you go to a doctor and the doctor says, you know, you've got a problem with your epithelial cells. And there are two or three different kinds, and, you know, they're all kind of similar, so... Uh, we'll just say, let's work on the squamous cell. That's an epithelial cell in the body. And you go to another doctor, and then the other doctor says, well, no, actually it's in a deeper part of the cell. And you go, well, you know, it's all kind of the cells, so what's the difference? You know, it's six of one half does the other. No, it's not six of one half dozen the other. You either function as love or you function as a false picture in your mind. And if you function as a false picture in your mind and love is not part of that picture, then you don't have a human life. So these are subtle but important truths to understand and integrate. Love is not a behavior trait. It's not a behavior that you can engage in. It's not something you can get, do, or give or get from somebody else, it is your created essence, your state of being. The the bottom line of this work is to support you in experiencing every instant of your life out of the state of being the love that you are. And it's important to recognize you cannot love someone or self because love is a noun, it's not a verb. Loving someone indicates that it's a verb, something you're doing as opposed to what you're being. If I tell my mind to 
be loving. It tries with the experiences and many false beliefs that it's acquired through a thousand generations to guide me, be what my culture defines as loving. But you know how many came from a culture where they heard a parent saying things like, well, I'm only beating you because I love you. This hurts me more than it hurts you. No, what you're telling me, parent, if you say that to me, is that you're hurting and you're slashing out at me because you are not experiencing yourself as love. If one is functioning as something other than love, and thoughts of fear and hostility or disapproval are moving in me, when I say I love you, my, my goal to be loving will create conflict and guilt because it's fear moving in me, it's hostility moving in me, and my language is going to be based in that, though I said I'm, I'm supposed to or I've been told I'm supposed to love you. What have you got now? This in, incorrect definition of love leaves us stuck in a conflicted situation. When I recognize that the goal of the work is to maintain the truth, the awareness of the truth of myself as love, when I can do that, what we call loving behavior will naturally flow from that. If I make love a verb, well, I'm supposed to be loving to you. I'm supposed to say certain words, but what's moving inside of me is rage. If I recognize that what's moving inside of me is rage, and I recognize that I've got forgiveness to do to remove the rage so I can return to the truth of who I am as love, then my behavior is going to be totally and completely different. But the goal to be loving when something different is moving inside of me, if I've got a false definition of love, is going to leave me in conflict and guilt. When I recognize and when I'm clear that my goal is to be the presence of love, if I'm in hostility, then I can direct my mind to do the work required to free myself of the hostility so that I can return to the truth of who I am as love. So it's a subtle but important conversation. And so I'm going to take a breath with that and just check in. We're about halfway through the uh, our time together. Miss Jeannie, just checking in to see if we've got anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anybody in the chat room with a thought for us. Or if you have any thoughts for us, sweetie. Uh, we do have a hand up, and it's area code 404. I believe this is Chris. Welcome. <clears throat> Hi, all. Um, hey, welcome, Chris. It, Good to hear your voice. Hi, Michael. Uh, what is it with the Greek? Is it the language that is, uh, you know, inferior and lost, losing in translation, like you said? Is it the culture? I mean, we look to Greek civilization and history as, you know, this icon of human achievement. Uh, is it the language? Is it the people? Is it the culture? What's the problem? Well, my offering would be this. 
that when you go back to the Aramaic, the Aramaic language represents human life as love. And it deals with the actuality of the creation. When you go to the Greek language, you've got a language that's made up by human minds. And you've got a language, if you look at, say, the source of Greek thought, let's say the, if you look to the Aramaic, the creator that they honored was a creator called love. If you look at the so-called gods in the Greek pantheon, these were people who, you know, they raped their own mothers, they controlled and destroyed people they don't didn't like that i mean the craziness that's in that pantheon and when when that kind of hostility and fear becomes the source of language and the source of thinking then the mind can only replay what's in it in the aramaic the the whole bottom line of the language is to remove those things based on hostility and fear, not to honor gods that, you know, you look at what some of these gods did in the Greek pantheon, and it was just horrific. In Aramaic, if you go back purely to the Aramaic, then you've got a creator, a god, called love. And humans that are made in the image and likeness of that love. And so and, the, and language is is that language controls the way the perceptual mind works and therefore the way we're guided to behave. But so the the Greek as compared to like Latin, Hebrew, English, is um, as in a special stumbling block as opposed to those other languages. Well, the, the Aramaic language, if, if you look at the, uh, the alphabet of the Aramaic language, the letters of the Aramaic alphabet are actually 3D shadows of the elements of creation. The Aramaic language is actually a reflection that comes out of the creation. If you look at every other language, it's a reflection of the minds that created the language. Humans made up a series of grunts and groans and called it words and said, this is what it means. And if you've got minds making up words that honor gods who slaughter their own children, torture their own spouses or parents, or, you know, again, all the crazy stuff that goes on, then with language, you just gave permission to go into craziness. The Aramaic is, is taking people back, especially through Yeshua. The Aramaic is working to taking people back to experiencing themselves as the active presence of love, removing the dynamics of hostility or fear, not only from their minds, but from their emotions, their bodies, and their language, and being restored to the truth of who they are. Okay, but how would you compare Greek with the Latin, the Hebrew, and the English, for example, uh, or other, another language uh, in its inability uh, or ability to uh, uh, have the Aramaic meaning? Well, if, if we look at, let, let me use an example, one of my favorites. In the Beatitudes, we're told by the Greeks, the Greek language, that the first word in each of the Beatitudes from the Aramaic, we're told that that word is 
or the, the opening phrase in each of the Beatitudes is, blessed are they. So that's how the Greeks express it. The actual meaning of the words, the word there is tuvehun in Aramaic. It's actually a three-part word, and it takes literally a whole paragraph for us to try to comprehend that in English. So tuvehun, in, if we were to go back to the Aramaic and we brought the Aramaic as close as we could into the English language, here's what that one word means from the Aramaic. A latent neural structure implanted in you by the Creator to guide you to happiness and well-being becomes your conscious possession, you who, and then the Beatitudes are a set of instructions for how to activate that neural structure. The Greeks told us it means blessed are they. And virtually every key idea from the Aramaic takes a paragraph to understand. And, and the Greek language just turns it all backward. You know, so many key words, like forgiveness in Aramaic is a tool with which you go inside yourself and remove hostility or fear, pain, and trauma, the things that drive people to, let's say, to addiction. In the Aramaic language, that's what the word means. It's, it's the tool you remove those things with. And you'll notice when they brought it into the Greek, now it becomes a thing where, well, of course, I get to blame you. You're the reason I'm in pain, so I'll let you off the hook for my pain. And now we've got what the world thinks is forgiveness, and it, it bears no resemblance to the Aramaic idea of forgiveness. We, we, have, you know, we could go through dozens of different words. Law, which I've already talked about today, in, in the Aramaic, it's, that word law represents the way the energy system of life works. If we bring it, if we look at the English language, what we, you and I have been brainwashed is law is the rule of a superior and you better obey. Forgiveness, I'm going to let you off the hook. In Aramaic, forgiveness, I'm going to go inside myself and deal with and remove my pain. Okay, so English we is deficient. Go. English is deficient also. Um, I have so far deficient. I have one more question. The manuscript that you, the what manuscript that you found, the uh, what was it? That was Kaboris. Aramaic eleven. What's it called again? It's called the Kaboris manuscript. It? It's a it's a tenth century copy of a second century text. It comes from a, around 164 AD. So it's a copy of the oldest known New Testament in the Aramaic language. Okay, is it the is it all of the I don't know that much about the Bible. I know there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Is it all of the books in both Old and New Testaments or just no. partial or what? No. The Kaboris manuscript is all of the Eastern canon of the New Testament. So it specifically is limited to the New Testament, and it's the Eastern canon. So there are a few books, like Revelations and such, that, that were added in by the Greeks that are not in the Eastern canon. The Western Church, the Roman Church, took on some books that the Eastern Church did not engage in. So it's the whole New Testament in as as accepted by the Eastern um, Church. And when was this discovered? 
this I mean, manuscript you know, well, actually, the, the manuscript itself, my, my former partner, Dan McDougald, who's the gentleman who uh, originated the work uh, that we were talking about in the prisons, EMI, that eventually when we brought her, when we met and uh, discovered we'd been traveling similar paths and put our work together and created laws of living, uh, Dan actually funded and did an expedition back in the 60s to the Middle East to find a complete uh, as, as complete and as old a, uh, a New Testament uh, Aramaic text as he could. And that's when the manuscript was found. It was, it's called the Kaburis because it was found in a monastery on the Kaibor River in Turkey. And now, it is being kept, it, and now it's being kept safely, safely somewhere. It's in a yes. museum. Now or... it's kept safely somewhere. If you want to look through the whole manuscript, and the pages are, especially the ones, the markings, there are many markings that are in red, and when you look at it, it's really beautiful. If you go to our website, whyagain.org, slash Kaburis, K-H-A-B-U-R-I-S, I'll send you a link to it. If you go to that, you can look through the whole manuscript. There's the story about, actually, I traveled with it for about a year when we were getting high-resolution images being made of the manuscript. And so at one point, I took it to Heartland, and there's a story and some pictures of when we had it at Heartland and kind of some of the uh, things that we did with it. So it's, it's, And we've got a copy of, it's not the high-res images, but we've got a copy of every page of the manuscript. It's 512 or 513 pages, and that's all on our website. So you can look through the manuscript itself. All right. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Delighted. Delighted. Does that all fit? Any other thoughts for you? Oh, probably, but I'll... Well, let's go for it. We're here. You know, we've been trying to connect. We've been going back and forth for a while. So if you have any other thoughts or questions or any way we can support you, uh, we're here to do it. Well, you know... And or uh, as you go through the course material that you're going through, you know, keep keep, uh, note of any questions you've got and then call the show and the gift of your questions, we can get to share the answers to it with everybody. Yes, I'll 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 have some more questions in the future. Thank you. Awesome. All right, sir. Have a blessed one. Good to talk with you. All right. Take care. All righty. Bye-bye. Sweet. Well, Ms. Cheney, we've got about 10 minutes left. Anything else happening in the chat room or anybody else in the phone queue with a hand up? There is another hand up, and I believe that it is Terry Bowling, 336. You're on the air. Well, Mr. Terry, how are you, young man? Welcome. I'm doing pretty good, yeah. So that fellow that was just on the show is... uh, was his name Tim? Maybe. No, what was his name? You're talk- you that just talking that just called him now Chris. Chris, yeah, yeah. yes. Chris, Chris, yeah. Did, did I hear, um, hear him say he was in the middle of going through the course now, one of the lessons? He's, he's now doing the codependence to interdependence self-study, yes. Oh, okay, great. And... Uh, 
I thought maybe he might be actually going through the Laws of Living course, but he's doing the codependence course. He's doing the codependence, the one that you've been doing. Yep, yep. Yes, okay. Have you completed going um, through the Laws of or the the, uh, codependence, independence, by the way? No. And it might be a good idea if I had somebody to connect with like him and just uh, bounce off uh, a few things back and forth. I would certainly be open to that if he wanted someone to chat with once in a while. Okay. Well, I will pass his number on to you. And and if he wants to contact you, we can do that. Other than that, what's exciting in your world? Of just um, assimilating, digesting information, and uh, filtering through uh, different, just enjoying the vastness and the qualities of what's uh, available to us and uh, uh, all the things that uh, people are able to talk about and discuss in this free world, I guess, that we're in. And particularly, and so I probably sent you a few of them, the, um, the fellow uh, Philip Hoffman, who was uh, uh, a consciousness studying guy. I forget his exact title, but he, he's a, he has a, 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 a bend toward uh, psychology and, and uh physics and math and he was um, he had a what I would call a, a full blown God experience for lack of better words and and uh, when he was doing working out mathematically trying to prove if there was consciousness or not or how consciousness worked or some aspect of it and he came across this uh, idea, the thought, and he said it was scientifically based. I think I, I'm sure I've shared it with you. I might share it with you afresh. And uh, you don't have quite as much time as I do because whenever I'm in the truck, I'm listening, you know, to something. Right. Somewhere. I hear you. Uh, and uh, of course, when I, whenever I land, all that stops. But it was a fresh, fresh idea about, uh, or maybe it wasn't such a fresh idea, but it was a, a different perspective, a different use of words about consciousness and how we are. We are. Uh, they're using a lot of um, computer terms, which to me goes right along with the why again, because you certainly use a lot of computer analogies to describe the operations of the mind and. Uh, this, that, and the other, but I'll try to find a little, at least a little five minutes where he has that experience when uh, it was like he proved that there was God or something like that mathematically. Yeah, it was like this big, mm-hmm. oh, wow moment in that uh, he could see that uh, each each of us, uh, the language he used, we're, we're, that we're a, an interface, that we're a, we're a point of consciousness and it's like we're an interface and that we're able to create additional interfaces through our children. Now, he's much more eloquent, and I don't even begin to have 
the words to express it the way he, he did, but I know you would get it really quickly. And uh, mm. I would like to hear your hear your um, interpretation of what was going on with it. And uh, yeah, send me a link if I'd you have to hear time. It, See what he's doing. Yeah, it wouldn't take you more than fifteen minutes. It'll take me longer to kind of figure out exactly where he was in that segment where he started talking about that, so that you can dial into it. Because I think the show is like two and a half hours long. I'll try to uh, uh, dial right. it down to within a, within a little window. Okay. Says, uh, cool. I know you guys stay busy on all the work you got going on, but in in his meditations, he was talking about part of the shift was when he was focusing on what was behind, like what was behind. He says, when when you when you're meditating, he said, I would look and there's like this gray or or dark kind of matter area, but when he started meditating, looking inwards or beyond through his portal uh, was also a part of that uh, opening. So uh, this stuff is really challenging to put into words that we can convey because the words don't they rarely convey and express the experience that we have that can be so beautiful and, and rich, you know, just the, the full-blown life experience there. But he was doing a good job of expressing it, and it really got me interested. It motivated me to work a little harder on some of my uh, explorations and the meditations and all, and, and uh, pull nice. the, uh, the worksheets work back to the top of the stack, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. All right, let's interface with a worksheet. Let's look at, a, look at this interface point uh, with this uh, worksheet tool that we've got here. So that's what's going on. Buddy. Right. Well, you know, yeah. you, you've heard me say a thousand times that in order to heal, you've got to be out of your mind. And, you know, last weekend I went to a, a workshop of a gentleman who's uh, who wrote the textbooks on a thing called medical massage. And I went because there's a, a person here I've been working with who, you know, I've over the 50 years, I started doing massage work with, with ther- massage therapists 50 years ago. And in that fi- intervening years, I've worked with massage therapists on, on literally on four continents and never found anybody who could do what this person could do. And the, her, her teacher was coming actually was in, in North Carolina. I talked to you about, you know, when I was heading down there. And um, yeah. so I went just to be in the presence of him as a master. And one of the things that unfolded for me, the opening day was a total day of theory, was just a lecture on theory. And I'm sitting in there, and, and I, I just had this experience of kind of being able to step back and be out of my own mind and to see how this whole energetic system, and in particular, this energy field that we call a body-mind unit, was really just a place for us to start to bring in the expression of the magnificence of who and what is really behind it all and who and what we are. And it was just like, you know, this moment where I kind of was able to step back from my own mind and, and I could just see how 
this whole energetic expression was organized by our will and it was there for that expression and the mind is such a minuscule part of it that the mind you know the mind tries and wants to understand but the the experience is so magnificent so huge that it's like trying to put an eight foot two by four in the eight inches between your ears it just doesn't fit and and to me the objective of this work is to to deliver us the tools with which we can be out of our minds and have that experience and then of course you come back and you try to explain it to your mind and your mind goes oh man i gotta water this down so much <laughs> yeah exactly Kind of like Yeshua said 2,000 years ago, and they said, well, tell us, tell us, tell us. And he says, I have so many things I would tell you, but you can't hear them yet. And it's all, you know, this work is about building the brain cells to come to that direct experience, not for the mind to hear about it. I mean, people read about it in books and go, oh, isn't that cool? But but the, 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 the real difference is to have the experience of it, and that's what corrects yeah. Everything that's insane in the world is that experience. And to me, that's what these tools are about. That's what I've been working on developing these tools for for the last half century. So delighted to be sharing them with you, my friend. Me too. Very much so. All right, well, the show's going to cut us off. We've uh, gone a little bit over time. It's kind of yelling in my ear, so I'm going to just invite everybody to have the best year yet of your eternal life. Chris, good to hear from you. Glad you had some questions and look forward to the, your, your inquiry and what your next questions are. And the same for you, Terry. appreciate you a lot. Blessings. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Bye-bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.